Give me just one second here. Let me get one on this side too. Please be seated. So, yeah, I just took a selfie with all of us. That just happened. And, you know, um, I'm doing that because, uh, well, you know, this is a week when we take a lot of selfies probably with the nieces and nephews or the friends, you know, sitting around the table. And I took that selfie of all of us because we're a family. You are here today, and that makes us a family. Even if you've just walked in the doors uh, here and you've never been before, even if you have just started coming here and you haven't really plugged into the church in a terribly active way and you just come to church on Sunday, yeah, I know who you are. You are family here and you are here on this day. And the reason I'm standing here today and we're talking about family is that we need to talk like a family today. We need to have a talk. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to be asking for you to raise hands and respond, but we need to um, have a talk today rather than maybe a, a sermon or a homily because today is a hard day. You know, today's the, the feast day of Christ the King, or, or as we like to call it in America, reign of Christ, because, you know, we don't truck with no monarchs in our country. And the, I like to call it Christ the King. It's a l- little bit more descriptive for me. And it fits in better with what we're talking about. So today is the feast day of Christ the King. And you know, you would think on the feast day of Christ the King, they would give Jesus better press. You know, we'd we'd have him riding into Jerusalem or healing the sick or, or, or saying some of the really neat things that he said to the religious authorities. But today we have Jesus, well, you probably saw, at the place of the skull, Golgotha. And you know, that is the 500-pound gorilla in the room today. Is it here on the reign of Christ day, on Christ the King Sunday, on this last Sunday before we slip into Advent and start anticipating the birth of Christ? A wonderful thing. We have to deal with Jesus' death. More specifically, we have to deal with the reality of the cross. And family, um, the cross is not pretty. It is not something that we take joy in thinking about, is it? You know, to early Christians, the cross was a source of embarrassment. You don't even start seeing pictures of the cross until about the 8th century. Because to die on the cross was to die the death of a traitor or the death of a common criminal or a petty thief. Someone who just angered the authorities. Pontius Pilate, who, who was instrumental in having Jesus killed, of course, he was known to be such a violent governor that he was even told by Rome on different occasions to tone it down a bit. The cross is a scene of unimaginable violence and pain. Yet today it is our challenge to talk about this and to focus our energies, and to focus our attention upon it and what it means for us. Now, some of us, well, maybe all of us, sit in a place of disorientation right now. The world has changed a bit for us in one way or another. 
And I think in our disorientation, believe it or not, we are found, we can find the way of life on this very cross. A theologian I like, a German theologian named Jorgen Moltmann, um, talks a lot about the cross in his book, The Crucified God. And Moltmann has a unique perspective on the cross because Moltmann was conscripted into the army and fought uh, for, for Hitler's armies during World War II. And, and, and spent a good bit of the uh, of of the war in an English POW camp, and so he lived through a place of great disorientation. He lived in a culture that went way off the rails, in a church that went way off the rails by identifying itself with that awful dictator. And Moltmann says that lest the church loses its identity in the culture, we just become like the culture. We need to focus our attentions upon the cross of Christ. Because it is in that that we find our reality as Christians. It is in that that we find our very identity. It is in that that even in disorientation, we can answer the question, what now? Jesus, you'll notice today, um, he, he is mocked and derided by the people standing around him. The religious authorities, the soldiers. And he's, he, he is there between these two common criminals. And of course, one of them kind of continues the mocking. And then the other one um, asks him to remember him in his kingdom. And during this little scene, we have a world of a world of knowledge and a world of wisdom that we can take and apply to our lives together in this community, in our life together as a family. The first thing you'll notice about Jesus, and it's very subtle, is that he prays for the people who are mocking him, and he prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing, doesn't he? In that prayer, Jesus says so much. He says that he acknowledges the humanity of his oppressors, He acknowledges uh, the divineness of his oppressors and he prays for them. And he prays the, the greatest thing God can offer us for them, forgiveness. So we are offered something from Jesus here that as we are oppressed by other people, as we sit across the table from people that we disagree with or people we maybe don't like or people um, who frighten us or make us anxious, we can stop and we can recognize in them in them, the the divinity of God's creation, and that they are children of God, and that they carry the dignity that we all carry as human beings. And I know this is a hard conversation to have, but you know, we're good at having hard conversations in this place. In the Diocese of Atlanta this weekend, we had a a, a long one-hour conversation uh, about a, uh, uh, an amendment that our own Bruce Garner offered. It was, it was rejected in committee, and then Bruce offered it on the floor. It was a resolution that, that asked us to remember our baptismal vows, and in an effort of remembering our baptismal vows and living those out, uh, to refrain from hateful rhetoric towards people who are minorities, uh, sexual minorities, um, people who are poor, immigrants, women. In that, we are offered hope by Jesus today that together we can be a body that looks across the table or across the aisle and sees 
the dignity of every human being in this place. Jesus does this on the cross, friends, from this hard, horrible place. The second thing that Jesus does on the cross, we'll notice today, is that Jesus prays. Even in this place of horrific pain, Jesus prays. He never ceases praying. And no matter where we sit in our lives, no matter our pain, no matter our anxiety or our joy, we can always, always pray. Pray for one another. Pray for the world. Pray for the people who hold leadership. Pray for people who are our enemies. We are called by Jesus from the cross to pray. And then finally, Jesus on the cross offers us probably the greatest gift of all, and that is the rejection of violence as a way of doing anything. In his death and in the integrity that he, he showed in going to the cross willingly and offering himself up, he rejects violence especially in his resurrection that we remember later, he rejects the violence of the world as a way of accomplishing anything, anything at all. And so, friends, as a shepherd of this flock, um, my prayer for you during this time, whether it be a time of disorientation or a prayer of happiness, is that we can all keep coming together and being a community that recognizes these realities of the cross and that lives these realities that the cross offers us together. There's a great song by the Abbott brothers, actually, that um, where uh, Seth Abbott and his brothers wrote this wonderful song about the life that they've lived as artists and, and the success that they've had but the song's called No Hard Feelings. And he, he does a little meditation about, you know, when I die, am I going to die just having love in my heart? And it's a prayer, really, that he's offering that he hopes that he dies with love in his heart. And then he meets Jesus and they walk hands in hand. And he holds no hard feelings. And he says, of these hard feelings... Lord knows they haven't done much good for anyone. They've kept me afraid and cold with so much to have and hold. Under the curving sky, I'm finally learning why it matters for me and you. And listen to this line. It matters for me and you to say it and to mean it too. For life and its loveliness and all of its ugliness, good as it's been to me, I have no enemies. I have no enemies. So gathered together here today, family, can we be a family that can say it and mean it too? As we pray the prayer of Jesus from our table here, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Can we say that and mean it? As we uh, pass the peace to one another, the greatest thing we can offer anyone in this life, the peace of God, can we say it and mean it? As we pray for the oppressed, as we pray for the sick, as we pray to do ministry here together, can we say it and mean it? I'll stand in the back later and I'll say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And this community does go in peace 
and love and serve the Lord in big and small ways. We, we take care of refugees. We take care of the children of working poor and clothe them. We help feed people here in this, in this town. We offer a place of hope for the men of covenant here. And so Jesus calls us to say it and to mean it by going in peace and by doing ministry in the world. God knows there are plenty of opportunities to do that here. You can work at Threads. You can help with Covenant Community. You can teach youth Sunday school. Please teach youth Sunday school. (laughs) In so many ways, each of us are people who have the blessing and have the wisdom and have the love of God that is shared with us today, most importantly, that can help us to say it and mean it. That is my prayer for you, brothers and sisters, dear flock, that we can be that family that says it and means it. Amen.